Welcome to Theories and Americans, everybody. Before we get to our conversation today with Tai Tran of Asians Never Die, I want to share with you a project that I've been working on. It's called the Food Bingo. And we want to continue to support our locally owned Asian American small businesses, our mom and pop restaurants, boba shops, coffee shops, who need our help more than ever. So I've created a fun bingo board, uh, naming some of the restaurants and places that are still delivering, that are still offering pickup. Our first board is Koreatown in Los Angeles, which is a very, very dear place to me. Soon we'll have one for Little Tokyo, and we'll have another one for Asian restaurants in the Twin Cities, all the way in Minneapolis. Shout out to Sarah Park for organizing that. Um, so come check us out. It is at The Food Bingo on Instagram and on Facebook. If you'd like to see a bingo card for your own city or your own neighborhood, there's instructions on there to suggest uh, restaurants and places that you know to be still open. And so we can make that for you. Share it out with your friends. Uh, more than ever, we need to help our brothers and sisters, our aunts and uncles who have worked so hard to provide us meals, drinks, and memories at these places. And so in a time of need, if you're able, let's do our best to make sure that we can go visit these places again when all this is behind us. Thanks. And here now is my conversation with Ty. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. This is your host, Jerry Wan. And today on our show, we have another amazing icon of Asian American community building on the internet. Uh, you've been entertained by his memes and all his comedic genius. You've been a part of his group, or at least somebody has shared something from the wonderful world of Asians Never Die. So Tai Tran is the face, the brains, and the heart behind Asians Never Die, and we feel so lucky to have him for a conversation. Ty, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man, in this crazy time that we're in, right? <laughs> it is a crazy time indeed. Um, you know, it's, uh, wow, I, I don't even know how to talk about it, right? I, I think there's so many good that can come from this, uh, you know, particularly within our community. I think people are, are digging deep to find out who we are and who we want to be, more importantly, you know, going forward. Um, yes. But yeah, um, before we talk about all the craziness of 2020, um, let, let's start with you and learn a little bit more about Ty and, and uh, the Tran family. Um, where did you guys first call a home in America? And tell me about your early years. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my parents are refugees from Vietnam. Uh, they came over to America in 1975. And, you know, just asking my dad and my mom the history, uh, you know, they didn't talk too much about it. I, I think that's kind of like the, the narrative uh, with the refugee uh, Asians, like they try not to tell too much of a story because it's very tragic. And a lot right. of times it's uh, unhealed wounds yeah. and they don't want to bring up those feelings again. But, you know, my dad's 71 years old right now. Um, and when he first came over to America in 1975, he said in Arkansas, out of all places in America, wow. it was, yeah, Arkansas. <laughs> and it was a beautiful Caucasian family that was sponsoring him through a church to come over here. And he kept in touch with them. And, you know, thank you so much to that family for, you know, giving my dad an opportunity to come to America. Um, but then from Arkansas, he moved over to Tennessee. And that's where my parents, you know, had their first two children. Tennessee was an awesome place. He loved it. It was Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and then, but this whole mass migration of Asians going over to California, because that was like the, the technology rush, right? Mm. IBM, HP, all like the hardware companies was, was popping up. So my uncle and my dad is like, hey, this is an opportunity for us to go to California. 
Uh, so they drove, my dad packed up his car with two kids, drove across the whole United States in three days with my mom. And this is like during the 80s where there's like no rules and regulations. So he's like, yeah, you know, the kids were hanging back uh, on, the, on the back seat with just a mattress, no baby seat. It was insane. And he said that uh, during the trip across, it was like uh, he drove across the desert. And then it was really, really hot. And when he pulled over to a gas station, he didn't notice this, but his tires were completely melted and blown up. And he was going like 100 miles per hour trying to make it quick across America. But thank God to this, this couple pointed out to him, hey, your tires are, are about to explode. And, you know, they saved his life pretty much. So, yeah. but yeah, long story short, they made it over to California. We set on San Jose. That's where myself and my younger brother was born. Um, San Jose itself is, is a melting pot. You know, you got a large uh, Mexican population. You know, you got some African community there. You got a lot of Vietnamese people. And there's spots of like other demographics, but it was mainly Mexicans and Vietnamese in San Jose. So that's where I settled. <laughs> and, and so you, you were born in San Jose. And, and as you just mentioned, you know, uh, pretty diverse, probably more diverse today, obviously. Um, yes. But, you know, we know it today as Silicon Valley and then really the tech capital and, and, and a different narrative when it comes to socioeconomic makeup yes. of the neighborhood and, and, and the gap, obviously, unfortunately, that still exists. Um, but how was San Jose and for you growing up there, you know, back in the 80s? Yeah, it was um, like majority of immigrant and refugee parents, you know, we, my parents came over with nothing. You know, they didn't speak the language. They didn't have, you know, the education behind it. Um, so they worked very uh, uh, mediocre. I, I guess to just say like just hands, uh, labor jobs with mm -hmm. their hands. But dad was an electrician. Uh, so we didn't make a lot of money. And my mom actually had a lot of health issues with four kids. So she was in and out the hospital a lot. So my dad couldn't work full time because he had to take care of my mom plus four kids. So, you know, we grew up with very humble beginnings. You know, we had welfare. We had the food stamps. And, you know, for me, growing up in America, you know, what you see on TV is this beautiful, perfect white family, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the presents, watching Home Alone, you know, having all the toys. We didn't have any of that stuff. You know, I remember for us uh, growing shopping, my mom would bring out of these booklets that are called food stamps. And, you know, with the food stamps, it's not like what it was today with the card. It was actually right. coupons, mm -hmm. 5 10 $20 for kids to be. And, you know, as a kid, I, I didn't understand that we we're poor, but I kind of did because, you know, we'll get certain reactions like, you know, people kind of look at us or judge us. And I started feeling a little ashamed yeah, that how come my parents or how come we didn't have the nice things and, you know, we'll shop with these food stamps, you know. But, you know, as, as a kid, you just didn't understand the, the, the financial situation that your parents are in. Not until I was a lot older that I understand that, hey, you know, our parents went through hell just to give us an opportunity. I'm super appreciative and thankful of them now. But yeah, um, you know, we grew up very, very poor, uh, did the best as possible. And the only way out that my parents taught us was to go to school, get a, go to college, get a degree, which I did. I went to UC Riverside. I graduated. Uh, I tried to do like the traditional, you know, STEM route, you know, science, technology, engineer, you know, because our parents, that's the only way that they thought was successful, right? Right, right of course. You find, a, you find a secure, stable job. And I was the first a computer science major. Ooh, <laughs> Silicon Valley, right? Computer <laughs> science major. But I hated math. I hated studying. I was, uh, I, I guess you can say I was a class clown. I was a very oddball child. Um, growing up for me, I was always the black sheep. Uh, I was a middle child. I'm a left-hander. I'm completely the, 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 the I, I guess you can call it the problem child of the family because every single parent-teacher meeting, 
every, te- every, every teacher told my parents this, Ty is the worst student I've ever had. That's awful. And he's, yeah, they would say that. They're like, because I, I, I would always get in trouble. You know, back in the days, they'll have like, you know, they'll write your name on the board with a sad face or a happy face. And my name would be consistently on the sad face. And I, 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 I figured out now that I probably had some form of ADD as a child because I couldn't sit still. I would fidget. I'll talk. I was like, what do you mean I can't talk? What do you mean I can't stand up? Right. I, I just didn't know. So I was always the C average. You know, I graduated with 2.7, you know, studying wasn't my thing. I just like to talk to people and socialize. Um, So yeah, I graduated from college, did the whole corporate, you know, life for 12 years. And, you know, it is what it is. And just like an average American, just trying to pursue that American dream of, of, of making money, providing not only for myself, but, you know, this financial security and retirement for my parents. Because as you know, Asians, we don't throw our parents into a retirement home. They live with us pretty much. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's especially a relevant topic today of, of you know, parents and then taking care of them. Um, so you, you now, you know, run a, a media entity that is specifically centered around Asian and Asian American things. Um, when did that start for you? Did you partake and, and consume a bunch of whatever was available to you in high school? Like, what did you do extracurricularly in college to help you set up for what it is now? Yeah, that's it. That's a loaded question. <laughs> you know, um, growing up in, in the 80s as an Asian child, right, you know, um, my neighborhood was filled with a lot of Asian kids like Vietnamese, Filipinos, uh, you know, we, you know, you got some like Cambodians and stuff like that. But we also had a lot of Mexicans too. Mm. So we, we, there was segregation even as a child because you kind of stick to just your neighborhood. Along right. my street was like, you know, Vietnamese, Asian, Chinese family all along. We just kind of stuck with each other. But, you know, growing up, um, it, for some reason, it was always in me that every single time, very rarely that when I saw an Asian face on TV, I'm like, automatically, I'm rooting for that person, yeah. right? A, a sports star like Michael Chan, uh, Michael Chang back in the days, yeah. a tennis star back in the 90s. And my uh, uncle was a tennis instructor. Uh-huh. So he was like one of the only Asian faces back in the 90s and made it really big. I was like, oh my God, who's this Asian dude? I was doing dope stuff on TV. Yeah. So I, I instantly gravitated towards that because it was a very rare sight. Uh, I was very into cars also too. There's a guy named Adam Saratari, which was import drag racing legend. And when I saw him on TV going against all these like American muscle cars, I'm like, yeah, go Japanese cars. You know, <laughs> it was a weird feeling because we never got representation in any form of entertainment. You know, it was either on TV as, you know, of course, the long duck dong, the mm-hmm. doctors, the, the Asian character uh, characters and stuff like that. So it was never a representation of, of who we are. Right. And Asians were never cool. You know, <laughs> cool, coolness and Asians didn't get along. We were like the nerves or the sidekick or the, the, the beta male that never really got the chick. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. But growing up in the 90s now, um, we grew up, in, in the, especially in the Bay Area. I don't know about L.A., but there was like the Asian pride. Have you heard about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Asian pride. You know, there was like uh, first time when Internet came out, you know, there's a, a song called Got Rice. Yep. <laughs> that became super popular for some reason. But yeah, Asian pride was very interesting because, you know, this was when Asian gangs were around too. You know, yeah. a lot of fights broke out and then 
we had our own identity, our own style, our own clothes, you know, baggy clothes, white shirt with the little Buddha chain, you know, and the slick with, back. With, with, with the split long, yeah. Yeah, the split the long hair, hair yeah. bleach hair. Oh my God. <laughs> I wanted to bleach my hair, but my pants would have whooped my ass. <laughs> I, I, I have naturally curly hair, so I can even never do that. It was very, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, so I, I never got the cool hair, but I, I know what you mean. Yeah, it was interesting because for our generation, we grew up in an age where finally, like, we had our own identity, right? right? And it was when internet first came out, where like we're able to go on like chat rooms. Oh my God, hey, you're Asian too, cool! It's yeah. like, wow, you're finding other people, you're finding artists. Like, there's an artist called Tyvet G back in the days. He was a rapper. Mm-hmm. You know, he actually grew up in my neighborhood, but he moved to Portland, Oregon. I'm like, wow, Asians are doing cool stuff: music, art, entertainment on TV. Very rare, but it was a sense of identity for me. Uh, but then I, I just never understood. I, I switched a lot, you know, to different types of identity. So it was like the Asian pride. I moved down to Riverside. You know, it was like a lot of rock and pop punk, pop punk music. So I was yeah. like wearing the chains. I got a lot of piercings. And I think that's kind of the Asian. Like we adapt other people's culture, whether it's like the Latino culture, it's the black culture, it's the, the you know, the rock or skateboard culture or something like that. We really never were the trend starter, I guess you could right. say. You know, we just kind of adapted other pieces and made it. So, so I was like the chameleon. Whatever was cool, I was doing. Whether it was raving, you know, <laughs> you know, whether it was break dancing, yeah. whatever it was into music, I just kind of like adapted to everything, every uh, type of like trend that was out there. But um, just going back to it, you know, I joined a fraternity in college, and it was an Asian fraternity. Mm. Once again, just kind of sticking within the circle. And one of the pillars of the fraternity was called uh, Asian awareness. And it was about promoting Asian culture, Asian identity through the United States, because as we know now, you know, uh, Asian Americans only make up 6% of America, 18 million of us are here, but one in four, one in five is U.S. born, versus four and five are still foreigners, you know. So I, I wouldn't say foreigners, but like they weren't born here, sure. they adapted yeah, to culture yeah. history. But um, yeah, I did the whole routes and then it was just always this calling for me. Like I've always wanted to put our Asian identity, whatever that was to the mainstream, you know? And for me as a comedian, as an entertainer, I started making memes cause memes was hot in like 2015, 2016. I was like, how come there's no really Asian memes out there? I mean, I'm watching other pages like that's cool. So I started making memes uh, and then I started posting up on my feed. And of course, you know, on IG and Facebook, you don't want to be that guy that keeps posting stuff every day and like your friends get annoyed of it, right? You know, you know those people. So I created this page, this page called AZN Never Die, huh. right? It was, it was called AZN because it was kind of like re- bringing back the Asian pride identity, right? right? Back again in 2016. So I started up and it started growing. I started posting all my memes, memes on there. And to this day, uh, it's been growing organically. Four years later, um, you know, we have over a million followers on Facebook yeah. across the world. Uh, we have 350,000 followers on Instagram across the world. And, you know, looking back at it now, it's the, it was the right timing. You know, I, I think it's everything about timing because people are ready for it. And now there's a sense of hunger for Asian identity, Asian mainstream. We really want to put ourselves out there. And of course, you know, fresh off the boat. Right. Uh, you got crazy rich Asians. You got all these other artists and pioneers that have paid the way for us. So um, once again, it's just taking my comedic side and then my Asian American identity side and putting it all together to create Asians Never Die. That's awesome, man. Um, whether, whether it's AZN or Asians, where, where did the name Never Die come from? 
So it, it's interesting because one of my favorite movies growing up was The Goonies. You remember ah, The Goonies? Yeah. Yeah. So it says Goonies never say die. And I, for me, that the 80s movie always brought back a nostalgic feeling. So uh-huh. I was like, oh, Goonies never die. It sounds cool. That means that, you know, you never give up. You never give the fight. Yeah. So I was like, oh, Asians never die. sounds pretty cool too. So that was like my inspiration. Very cool. Yeah. Um, talk to me about 2016 in your earlier years, you know, um, you know, I, I do a lot of creative outputs and, you know, different brands and stuff. So, yeah, I, I'm sure some of my friends, for them, I'm that guy that posts way too much. And it's just like, <laughs> which is fine, you know. Um, but as as you started exploring with your own content and really putting that out there, um, so, I don't know, four years, million, it's not linear growth, right? Like, um, how, how was the first year or two? Were you the only creative genius behind all the memes? And, you know, at what point did people start, contributing so that it became more of a community versus a one-way meme distribution channel. Yeah, absolutely. So in 2016, I was still working in corporate life. So I, I was still balancing out my full-time tech job. You know, being in the tech world over here, you know, I was working for a couple of startups. So I had my full-time job putting, you know, nine, 10 hours there. But at night after six, seven o'clock, I was working on my passion. It was just creating memes and just entertaining people. So for the first two years, you know, it was just honestly myself. You know, people were sending stuff here and there, but it was majority of my own creation of, you know, of my upbringing. And for some reason, a lot of people gravitated towards that. It's like, mm. oh, I remember my parents whooping my ass too with that little <laughs> broomstick, you know? Like, oh, I remember my parents, you know, wrapping up their remote control with, uh, with a saran wrap. And it just became a thing, right? It's so funny that, you know, we can talk about it now where like child abuse was funny to us. <laughs> Not we funny, man. A, it's it's not it's not. But we we grew we grew up in a different generation, right? Of course, we grew of course. Up, totally. Right. I'm, I'm I'm totally against that now. Uh, but we grew up in the '80s and '90s where our parents didn't understand. Because no, of course, it, it's it's yeah. But but I think it's it's important to talk about that with people for whom you don't have to one explain or justify stuff, right? Like yeah, you know there were things whether you're Korean or Vietnamese or Chinese, like you know capital punishment was okay, right? Like was, love was okay. You yeah, know, um, yeah. you know, I, I, shit, I don't know. Like if, if you make your kids do stuff today, like punishment, like <laughs> it's not okay. Right. But you know, yeah. we, we evolve and, and we learn yep. and, and we adapt. But you know, if you tell one of these stories to somebody who doesn't have our, you know, collective immigrant experience, it's, yeah. Oh my God, your parents did that to you. And it's like, yeah. look, I don't need to like defend my parents, but it's nice to have the conversation in a forum where there's a basic level of mutual understanding of, Absolutely. But it man. is. Yeah, it was just what it was because survival. Right. And, you know, whether it was post Vietnam War or post Korean War or yeah. any situation where our different groups of people moved here, really seeking safety and security and opportunity, they didn't have the luxury to worry about some of the stuff that we worry about today. Yeah. Or at least a month ago. Today, we don't worry about anything except survival, which sort of goes <laughs> exactly. back to that. But a month ago, we were consumed with very privileged thoughts of, you know, happiness and, uh, you know, self-enlightenment and all these pursuits that, you know, our, our parents really set us up for. Um, before we move on to sort of the second half of Asians Never Die and, and the, the Facebook group behind it, um, you started a meme page or a content development page four years ago. And during the last four years, you know, particularly with some of our, our younger listeners, you know, that's what they want to do. They want to make content. Yeah. They want to be, you know, um, whether, whether they use it for good or for cloud or for money, you know, there's just seems to be a growing desire to be a content yeah. creator in one way, shape or form. 
Um, talk to them based on, you know, your reflection of the grind and just the consistency that you went through because for two years, you just made stuff. There was no money, right? Like there was nope, nothing. No it money. was just for fun, <laughs> for passion. Yes. Um, now, and you're like, oh, dude, I got this page. It's got a million people, but you know, you post stuff, you don't get any likes and it's, you know, work gets in the way, personal life gets in the way. And there's days you probably said, you know what, that was fun. I'll just let it be. But, you know, talk to, take us through your, your mindset over the first two years of what kept you going. Man, that's, that's a really great question because even for me, four years later, I still look at my journey and I really thank my wife for this because she is a great note taker. Like we're complete opposite. I'm like out there sporadic and just don't write anything, don't plan anything. But for her, she's a very methodical, like a type of person. Write down your thoughts, write down your feelings. I'm like, write down my feelings, like a journal. <laughs> <laughs> right? But I'm glad that she said that because throughout my journey, at every single moment where I felt a high or a low or a, a milestone, I would actually write down my thoughts and, and recapture it. And, you know, four years, it's, it's be, definitely been a grind. And honestly, I did not start this as a business. I did not start this as a way to make money. I did not start this as, oh, I'm going to become the next YouTube Vine or TikTok star or something like that. It was just my comedic outlet. I love to entertain people. I love to make people laugh. and made me feel good, you know. And for the first two years, there, there was no money into it, you know. There was, it was just positive feedback. I was working my daytime job, putting in nine, 10 hours a day, you know, uh, in the tech world, going home, I was making memes. I was eating dinner. I was juggling my own personal life. I've been with my wife for 13 years, you know? So uh, I had this full-time job, this passion I was building and a full-time wife and being able to spend all three things at one time takes a lot of work and dedication. And a lot of people look at that now. They're like, Oh my God, you know, you have so many big followers. It didn't happen overnight. And everything takes time and investment, but you have to really look back at why you started something. And for me, it was my passion. You know, you got to find out what you like doing and whether it makes you money or not, would you stick to it during the good times or the bad times? Because it's not all unicorns and cotton candy, you know, because truly building this plat uh, this, this community here, I got backlash i got negative I, I i get comments all the time oh what does asians ever die this morning some guy messaged me he's like hey asians should die and mm. i'm like you know just imagine you waking yeah. up eight o'clock in the morning going through all your messages and reading some guy <sighs> saying asian should die especially during this time yeah and uh i get you know just comments all the time but i understand that the negativity, you got to block up the noise. You got to block all the haters. You got to block everything because what you're doing is much more important than you. And it's doing something that is, I feel that is positive for the community, which, you know, we want to give a voice to our community. Right. So, um, to the young people out there, you know, get your education. Honestly, you know, we live in an awesome time now where yes, your parents are still nagging at you to get your degree and everything like that. I did, but I spent 12 years in corporate and I just didn't find fulfillment there. Uh, I quit my, I, I, two years ago, I actually quit my day, day full-time job and then I'm working this full time now. So that's another story later, but um, it takes time. It, it takes time to build up and it takes continuous grind. I was putting six, seven hours a day on my passion and then my full-time job. So uh, I would say this, if you really love it, stick to it, but also find out your niche though. Like find out what your voice is and what you love doing. Because if the money's not there, the likes and comments aren't there, are you still going to do it? And if you are, 
and you invest the time, it will pay off at the end. Those are fantastic words, man, because I think consistency is one thing, but it's the content. What's your topic of choice, right? I think as people look at content, you know, um, you, a lot of people say, I just want to be an influencer. And there's two things there. What do you want to be influenced by? And who are you trying to influence? I guess, you know, what is the influence that you're trying to flex? And what do you want to do yeah. with that influence, right? So, you know, um, there's a lot of whether it's podcasts or meme pages on, you know, things like sports or movies or pop culture or anything. And every time somebody asks me even like, should I, you know, go down this path of, I don't know, let's take Star Wars because I, I see Star Wars in your background, right? Like, <laughs> and I asked them like, could you talk about Star Wars with the same level of energy for the rest of your life? And of course it's like, yeah. And I was like, really? Like, you know, when shit gets hard, will you still fire up mm -hmm. a daily Star Wars podcast? And, and yep. so, you know, I, I think for me and for you and, and for everybody else, they're sort of in the... Um, community building and, and uplifting of Asian American voices, you know, for me, the process was peel back every layer. And what am I left with? I'm an Asian dad. Those are like, <laughs> that's know, a great thing though, man. Asian that, that, dads is, <laughs> that, that is right. So I'm a human being, I'm a dad and I'm Asian, whether I like it or not. So those things I can't ever change about myself. So yeah, those are probably, you know, a few of the things that I think really I can talk about for the rest of my life, because I think this is the ultimate debate of, do you let the attention come to you or do you chase the attention? Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now in 2020, you know, if you start anything Asian-ish, you're going to get more immediate attention than you did four years ago because yeah. of people like you and Benny and Phil and all these other guys that built up the foundation of this should exist in the first place. And there are more voices now, but the pie is growing. So the growth rate is the same, yeah. but you know, it's the topic of choice I think is fascinating because, you know, why not? Because it is who we are. And also why not? Because if you don't do it, who is right. And, and I think that's another, you know, you are best you as the child of Vietnamese refugees and having told that story, you are the best person to tell our Asian American story. You know, we talked earlier about not seeing enough of us in TV. Mm -hmm. And even when we did, those characters and those scripts were written by people who don't look like me and you and yeah. who don't respect the experience, right? So even when we do get it, it's who, who controls the narrative. So I think that's like, you know, so if you guys are out there and you're like, hey, I wanna start a podcast, I wanna start a meme page, you know, what do you want your legacy to be, number one? in context with, can you do this for the rest of your life? Yeah. So it's, and I think you can, I can with this platform and because every day you get to meet somebody new and everybody, you know, every day you get to tell somebody's story, but you know, I don't know, like really, you can't talk about NBA basketball every day for the rest of your life. Maybe, maybe you can, but like, is that some people what you do. Want? Some people do. Um, not, not much to talk about today, but you know, some people do. Um, so, okay. Let, let's go back to Asians never die. So, First two years, you got your day grind. You're, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing. Um, what, what, was, what had to have happened and what did happen for you to say, I want to take this more seriously? And how did you then expand your content into more than just memes, including building the Facebook group behind the actual page to now build a community around your efforts? Oh. So what happened was that a lot of times I've noticed that, especially in any entertainment world, 
uh, what comes behind it is like there has to be a creator, right? There has to be something that making music, making content, recording a video, right? That's the number one thing. Number two, there has to be a community of supporters where your fan base, your audience, right? You create something, you put your music out there, you 100 people likes it, 200 people likes it, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 people likes it. So a community is so important. But the third thing is capital, right? You can do music, you can do uh, movies and TikTok dances and all this stuff, all that you want. But when you grow older, like you and me, somebody comes knocking the door and his name is Bills that just keeps coming every single month. And you can keep doing things for free, but I ask myself, hey, if I wanted to do this entertainment, this platform, this community for the rest of my life, how can I do it without right. focusing my day job, right? right? Because at that time when I had my day job, it was paying me good money, you know, and I didn't need to make money for my platform. But then I had an opportunity, you know, big shout out to Next Shark and Benny. He was actually one of the first people that showed me that there's an opportunity where I can do this full time. Mm. Where I didn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, if I was looking to make a lot of money from this, I wouldn't be doing this entertainment thing, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I found much more passion and purpose in doing this. But I asked myself, if I was able to replace my full-time income with this, what routes would I take? Right. So that really showed me that, you know, with working with Benny and, and NextShark, it showed me that, hey, I'm able to find a way to monetize this. Um, my background is actually in marketing and uh, especially in the affiliate channel. Mm. So I was already connecting brands with creators already. So I was the little bridge that a lot of people don't understand is that in order for you to continue to create, you need capital, you need revenue, you need right. income somehow. YouTube is a great platform. Twitch is a great platform, right? So I would say that point where it reached for me was I was spending my full-time job and I was making some extra side money at the, with my passion here. And over time, it started growing where my side income, my side hustle was with my full-time. Yeah. But then I was just so busy balancing out my job, my, my passion, and my wife. <laughs> Something had to give. Right. And I, I sat down with my wife. I was like, you know what? I love what I'm doing now. And that's the only thing I look forward to was building this community and entertaining people. My job was cool. But I was like, I just can't be able to balance all of this and, and still, you know, have a normal life. Right. So I talked to my wife. I sat down, talked to her. She's like, you know what? I believe in you. And I think that's very important. And a great lesson for everybody is that with every successful person, there are people that backs you up and believe in you. And that's my wife. She said, you know what? I believe in you. Go ahead and quit your job. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> she gave me the green light. So I turned in my resignation letter and then I just went full time into it. You know, I had a game plan where I, I was already monetizing, right? Here's the thing though. Don't quit your job and just jump right into it without having a game plan. A lot of people say, oh, I'm going to become a full-time YouTuber. And then they don't make money for the first year. They're like, oh shit, this ain't working out. I got to right. go, go back and do DoorDash or <laughs> Uber, you know, something like that. You know, have a game plan and understand on how you can monetize your platform. You know, for, once again, it's not about making m money from it, but it enabled me to create, right? right? And uh, that's what I learned. So now, two years ago, I quit my full-time job. I'm doing this full-time. I have a couple part-time staff members on board to help out. But then the community started like reaching out because now there's a voice. There's mm. a lot of us out there, not just in America, but Canada, Australia, Europe. There's a lot of Asians all around the world. Our diaspora is very big. So people started like reaching out. I was like, hey, I made this cool meme. I made this cool video. And I was like, dude, that's so dope. And that's 
one of the goals is to use this platform to enable other creators. So it's been a wild journey for the last four years. And, um, you know, being able to uh, do this full time was making a little money from it just to pay my bills and to pay the staff members just to stay afloat. And I think that's one of the keys to success is to have a game plan and to really understand what you're getting into. In making money on Asian things or community things for me and I know for other people is sort of a touchy subject. You know, we grew up always being asked to volunteer for community stuff, right? Like, you know, um, whether you're in high school or in college, anytime there's anything community related, whether it's a voter drive or some festival work, it's always do it for your community. So yeah. what I think is super cool in 2020 now is when you look around, you know, we are still evolving. We're not really, really there yet. Um, but there is a really, you know, I, I think there's a balanced area where, you know, you can uplift the community, do something for them and make a living for yourself because you know that you're going to be a good steward of that money, not only for yourself, but also, you know, trying to put a big spotlight on other members of the community. Right. So yeah. I, I think, early, you know, I don't know how many ever years ago, but I think a lot of great uh, efforts to do content around Asian things um, like you, I, I think what I'm hearing from your story is there was a hesitancy to do it full time and to monetize the audience as the term goes, because it's like, dude, this is for me to entertain and, you know, just build a community. But if I make money from them, but it's not from them either. It's, it's very, it's complex and yeah, it um, is. It, it's a, there's no right answer, you know, um, especially, you know, uh, in social media marketing money, which is like you said, a lot of affiliate stuff where it's like, yes. oh, you know, I don't want to be that guy that just every post is an ad. Right? Yeah, but, for sure, man. <laughs> but, so you, but, you know, you have to work with brands that are also aligned to your values and your yes, audience's values, right? That is like, the key. That is the key. Yeah. So one thing, you know, um, it's been fun, but my goal too with, you know, we, we have somebody, Allison, that edits our videos and, you know, somebody that made our logo and does other stuff. And for me, it's, it's that also, you know, every dollar that goes out of this project goes to somebody that looks like me and you, yep. right? Yep. And so, absolutely, you know, people are like, man, wouldn't it be cool if you got these badass sponsors that, you know, sponsored your show? And I was like, no, because I want to also then use this platform to support businesses of our brothers and sisters. So absolutely. Yeah, like, you know, we're on zoom. This is our brother Eric's platform, right? So like <laughs> having yeah. to plug it. Right. But yep. you know, um, but there are, I think opportunities. So it's, it's also very important to not only be, you know, what's your why, but like, why do you continue to support with the money that you're, you know, having it flow through the system? Um, and I think if we look at around other, you know, groups, other diversity groups, you know, um, we are sort of still early in that process of, mm -hmm. you know, there is no more guilt, shame or burden about doing things for the community, particularly in the spaces of entertainment. Because if you talk to the audience and if you talk to the customers, they're screaming, I want to pay you money because I've been, you know, <laughs> like begging for this stuff, right? Like yeah. entertainment community that with people that look like me and you. So um, I, I think you in particular with the group that you've built, um, you know, it's, it's synonymous now with funny haha, -ha, but it's also, I think, you know, you having invested the time to build a community, it's still an impressive community of about 25,000 in the Facebook group. 
um, actually really... one one million on Facebook. Our group just started up like two months ago. Okay, fine. <laughs> even that's more impressive because that that number, right? Um, I, I, yeah, that wasn't to take away from the thunder. The, the page is oh, a no, million. No, no, no. The, the group is still impressive um, because it's that you know um, there are many many people who want to engage in thoughtful conversation, right? Because yep. a large percentage of that million are disengaged, funny, haha, and don't yep. really shouldn't contribute to thoughtful conversation too. So, um, so let's talk about that group. What were some of the earlier conversations that you saw when you decided to open it up so that people could talk to each other? Um, let's start with that first. In, the, in your first few weeks of the group or what made you want to start the group and what were some of the earlier conversations like? Yeah. So, I mean, for the last four years for the Facebook and Instagram, it was just like a brainchild of mine, right? It was just one voice, a couple of voices that was helping out here and there. But it didn't really engage the community. So I was like, you know what? Like, there's a lot of people that want to talk about certain things, and there's a lot of different viewpoints, right? Asians is not a monolith, right? There's conservative Asians, there's progressive Asians, there's right wing, left wing. Asians are everywhere. Trust mm -hmm. me, they're not this California, New York liberal bubble people. You know, it's <laughs> you read the comments out there, oh, you yeah. know, and, and people are very diverse. There's a lot of uh, Second Amendment Asians that like guns, and there's uh -huh. anti Asian, you know, anti gun Asians, you know. So just well, there's anti Asian Asians out there too, man. <laughs> 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 that's another topic brother <laughs> that's another topic but yeah it's it's so interesting because i feel that social media enable us to have these conversations right. right and it unfortunately majority of the conversation is is yelling at each other instead of listening to each other right so that was the goal of this group was like hey let's have some 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 thoughtful communications with each other Let's have you engage and you put out stuff that we can talk about because if it's only one or two voices, you're not going to get the full narrative. So, I mean, starting up this group was to get feedback from people from different angles and points of views. And it does get heated. Absolutely. It does get heated. But I think at the end of the day, for some reason, everybody always, there's a, a commonality between all of us, right? Uh, we call it the Asian brother, you know, Asian brothers and sisters and stuff like that. But you know, it's, it's been a very interesting evolution of hearing a lot of people's perspective. Um, but then that opened up another can of worms because now everybody's opinion is coming out. They're using words that, you know, I don't agree with. And I'm like, moderation, like, mm -hmm. oh, no, you can't say yeah. that. I mean, I, yes, freedom of speech. But, man, if you're, if, if you're saying things that is just terrible. Sure. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very difficult, right? That's, that's all I got to say. Like, how do you moderate that? And I, I don't want to be the, um, what do you call it, the morale police, right? I mean, we don't want to be that person. But, you know, the goal of the group was to be able to start conversations. And I think that conversation is so key, especially during this, this time period where our, our parents, our generation, we've never faced this type of racism out there before, attacks and harassments and everywhere. You know, so it's, it's really interesting to get a lot of people's perspective, but what's really interesting was that I would say uh, now there's a bigger uh, portion of the people joining the group that are not even Asian. Really? You know, they're, they're, yeah, non-Asians. And you can see them in the chat room. And some people are just curious. They're like, oh, what is this Asian never die page about? <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you know, so I, it, it just once again to start conversations uh, and to really engage the community. And I, I'm really appreciative of that because... You know, I think we live in a very unique time where our parents, you know, coming over here, they didn't speak the language. 
didn't have a voice. They, right. they, couldn't, they couldn't talk about racism. They couldn't talk about tax. They just swept it under the rug. You know what? Put my head down. Yes, sir. Go to work. Make the money. Take care of my family. There's no political. Yeah. There's no activist. There's none of that crap. You know? But it's really sad to hear because, you know, our parents never had the voice. But for our generation, they gave us that voice. They gave up everything to give us the platform, the English, the education, and everything. And I feel that it's our responsibility to now speak up for them. You know, I mean, I was watching the uh, the LA riots in the 1992, and all the Korean shop owners, and you know, it, it was just a crazy time. But now in 2020, you know, there's so many more of us out there that are able to speak up. We're in you know places that we can have a voice. Why not use it to talk about things that affects our community? Yeah, it's it's fascinating because when when it comes to dialogue, right? I think, or when it comes to racism or things issues that really need to be talked about, um, our our parents, I think, even before they moved here, they saw some shit. Our grandparents definitely saw some shit that, like you said early on, they shielded us from, mm-hmm. and with all the right intention because they wanted us to never experience the bad. And so while it was extremely well-intentioned, I think a lot of us in our generation sort of then grew up with this false belief that bad things didn't exist in the universe because we were then never equipped to handle racism. It was go to, like you said, go to school, get a good job, get that fancy logo on your resume and that should protect you or exclude you from discrimination, racism, you know, living in the right neighborhood will then, you know, get people to treat you better. And that's not true because you cannot change the color of your skin. And in some weird way, I would say that there is probably even a stronger correlation to wealthier neighborhoods, wealthier zip codes and certain boardrooms and certain places where there's silent racism that is stronger, that is never really said, but they keep their mouth shut because it's, you know, protocol or manners. But now it's, unfortunately, a lot of it is coming out, um, even in certain areas where, like Northern California, like Southern California, where historically, or just the general census, there's enough of us here that it is safe. That it is, you know, um, one of the first things that I heard about really, really sad was on the election night in 2016, that somebody got yelled at scream that with racist slurs at a gas station in LA, Mm. in LA proper. And I was like, wait a minute, that could have been me. So all these people are just biting their tongue in the spirit of political correctness or whatever. And and now there's there's a lot of fuel behind it. Um, And and so with with a little bit of context of the Asians Never Die Facebook group being something that is, you know, it's, I think people also need to realize that Facebook groups are not public domains. They're created and moderated and, you know, uh, run by individuals. And it is up to that group or individual to dictate the terms of that conversation. So I know a lot of people go, but it's not fair. You don't approve my posts or you delete me, but it's like, well, then go join another group or start your own. Cause this is, <laughs> this is mine. Right. But, yeah. um, so la- last two or three weeks, um, all of us have, have had our entire world, you know, shaken upside down, um, as if there were enough things to worry about in terms of our own health, our own safety, um, our parents, um, our family members, our friends, and family who are in the uh, healthcare fields and you know all that considered 
in addition to all of that, just trying to survive um, on really, really unfortunate verbal, online, and even physical attacks. And this has been a lot of really positive conversations, unfortunately, some negative conversations of reporting of the crimes. Um, and I know that the Asians Never Die Facebook group has also been a place of support of gathering like-minded people. Like you said, there's a lot of non-Asians coming in um, with, hey, how do I support you guys in this time, right? Like, what are, let me help, you know, help me understand better what you guys are going through. Um, what, what, what are some things that you're seeing and um, some of the conversations that you're having behind the scenes with your team on how to address these things so that, you know, um, we, we, we have to talk about the bad because we can't hide it anymore. But Absolutely. how do we do it in a way where it is, you know, positive and, and uplifting in the long term for the community? Yeah. Um, Asians Never Die has, uh, we have three pillars which focus on uh, comedy, culture, and community. Uh, I've, I've always been trying to be a, a positive person because I feel that, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there already. You know, why don't I be the humorous, entertaining uh, little minute or two in your life that makes you smile? And, and we've always focused on that. But lately, there's just been a, a shift in the attention of, of people. And especially during this time, time period that we've, once again, never faced before. Um, you know, going back at it, you know, Asians were always known as the model minority, right? I mean, that's, that's absolutely a myth. But it was used as a way, hey, look, Asians are, are, are refugees and immigrants. They made it. They're highly educated. You know, they got a lot of money. They're low crimes. How come our other minorities can't follow them, right? But that is a very in, uh, does injustice to, to that because there, there are a lot of people that are not like that, you know, right. but it was just used as a way to put a blanket statement over our community. But it's interesting, though, how this model minority got flipped completely upside down within the last three weeks. But now we are this burden, this disease, this this outcast group that should go back to where you're from so quickly, right? Um, and what you're saying was that a lot of people have this unaligning, like they're holding their tongue back and this gives them an excuse just to lash out at it, right? And you know, for you and me, we're a lot older, right? So we've been through it. I, 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 didn't, we, I didn't grow up in a perfect neighborhood. You know, there's, you know, there's racist things. I, my first time facing racism was in second grade and this kid called me Ching Chang Chong. I'm like, at second grade, and my brain at first didn't process it. I'm like, but I felt this burning anger. What? Like, I thought we're cool classmates, right? But I just felt this burning anger, and I just, I didn't know what to say. I, I held it inside of me. And I think it's a lot of microaggressions that we face, you know, may not be physical, but it can be verbal that we face on a daily basis of not seeing representation for us. So for the last three weeks, honestly, I, I think the, 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 the flipping point for the Asian, Asian American community was, uh, I believe it was in February, where there's a, an elderly Asian man that was picking up cans. Yeah. And he was attacked and robbed and degraded and put online for the world to see. And that just lit a fire underneath the Asian community. It just completely shocked me. And I'm still getting chills from it because... When I saw that video, I was so livid because that could have been your parents, my parents. It could have been my grandparents because my dad's 70 years old. He can't speak a lick of English. And it just, the Asian community all around the world is like, you know what? It's just built up to a point. We can put up with it so much. Like our parents, right? We just put up with, put up, put up. It just got to a point. It's like, fuck it. 
I'm what can we do? So, you know, the Asian community all came around. You got pages all around, you know, jackfruit, neck shark, Asians with attitude, and all these other guys just bringing up. And thanks to all the news broadcasters, we work with Dion Lim, Francis, and all those uh, girls over there, uh, amazing women that are doing, uh, you know, uh, media and news networks. Yeah. Like, like everybody coming together and really find out who this man was and bringing these people to justice. And it was a two-week process, but, you know, SFPD caught these guys, you know, arrested them. And the community at COIC, uh, which is the, uh, the organization, nonprofit in San Francisco, working together with them, were able to raise $70,000 for this man. You know, it takes a tragic event to really round up everybody from the community to now fight against this. So our platform has, you know, I wouldn't say evolved, but it is, it's added in where like now we can talk about not just the positive, but also the negative things about things that we typically sweep under the rug. And now with coronavirus going around, you know, and the Chinese virus, right? Um, that really struck a chord with everybody because that kind of gave the green light on Asians, right? We already had the problem about people already thinking that we're all, we're all Chinese, right? <laughs> they can't tell the difference from Hmong, Cambodian, Thai, Lao, Burmese, Korean, Japanese. We're all Chinese in their eyes. So when the media started saying the Chinese virus, it felt like an attack on this. And there's actually statistics that prove, the FBI have proven that the number of racist and hate crimes against Asians has risen for the last month. Right, and we're getting hundreds and hundreds of DMs every single day of either a harassment online or even physical attacks in person. Like in Texas, at a Sam's Club, a, a man, a man and his two children were stabbed from a 19-year-old kid because he said, "I thought they had Corona, and I wanted to kill them because they're they were spreading Corona." That is mind blowing. I mean, online harassment. I mean, I mean online harassment you know, it's online, right? But when it becomes a physical attack, now that is dangerous, that is scary, you know? And, and, and I, we can think back about 9-11, you know, after that, the Muslim community or any brown person, Indian, Pakistani, Middle Eastern, everybody was a target. So, right. you know, now using our platform, we want to fight against that and put light to it. Hey, we are here. Asians are getting attacked and most mainstream media doesn't give a rat's ass about us. You know, so we have to stand up for our community and I'm very thankful that a lot of people have came together and, and really speak out. And, but there are a lot of non-Asians that have, have been speaking up for us. Right. Bernice King, for, you know, yeah. using her platform and all these amazing people that has, you know what, this harassment and attacks on the Asians is, is ridiculous. Stop. We are more alike than we are different. So I'm, I'm very thankful that our people are really speaking up for us. It's it's. Thank you for number one for what you're doing because I think it's hard work, it's painful work. Um, when people send you screenshots and pictures and videos of the things that they or other people are experiencing, that's not easy to look at, and there is some sort of a, a sense of just hopelessness and defeatism because it's just the onslaught is insane. Um, you know, there are um, you know Russell Jung up at UCSF and other people are or San Francisco state rather are categorizing these things. And, you know, um, but what do we do about it is not just 
those of us who are activists enough or care enough to do this, I think if you're listening, whatever you do, whatever organization you represent, you have friends and colleagues and even family members that you can inspire to either do the right thing or at least stop doing the wrong things, right? And I think that's, you know, you, you mentioned the, the newscasters up in San Francisco. Um, there are very, very many Asian newscasters more so than you and I grew up with. Um, that's great from a visual representation perspective, but if they're not standing up and if they're not raising their hand during editorial meetings and saying, maybe we shouldn't use that leading photo, maybe we should change that word, or, you know, maybe we should interview somebody else. I think that person's opinion doesn't really represent the community or, you know, it's not optimistic. Like that's what needs to happen. Right. I, I look at, you know, look at our city governments up in San Francisco, up in LA, you know, we may not have Asian Americans as the chief executive in the form of a mayor, but there's so many people that look like me and you and their staff in local politics. And again, step one, it's good that people who look like us have those titles, but two, what are you doing with that? Right? Like, what are you doing to change the course of dialogue? And, you know, I think one of the unfortunate things that were never really taught us when we were told to study hard, to get the right degrees, to get the right jobs was with that responsibility, like, what do you do with it? Right. Um, I, I've unfortunately have heard one too many subtle racist jokes in conference rooms and in boardrooms with colleagues and, you know, with classmates and it's, Oh, I don't want to offend the CEO. So haha, it's funny. Yeah. You play or, along with it, right? That's what we're taught. If you're the minority there, you start making fun of yourself. You start cracking Asian jokes on yourself so you can fit in with everybody So you get else. accepted, right? And, and what we don't realize and what I didn't realize and what I don't think a lot of our friends, unfortunately, still don't realize is they're going to use your laughing as a justification for the rest of their lives to say, well, my one Asian friend thought it was funny, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that's really, and, and that's why, you know, particularly within our community, when People are like, oh, that's not a big deal. Like, but it did originate there. So why can't we use that term? Or like, you know, y'all are overreacting or aren't there bigger problems yeah. for you guys to fix than, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, but you do realize that because we're saying it, you know, it empowers them to then point at you and mm -hmm. it excuses and it actually not even excuses, it empowers them to continue to do it. So, you know, um, you, you don't need to run a Facebook page with a million followers. You don't need to have a podcast that specifically talks about Asian Americans or even be a senator or a congressman to make change. So, you know, where, wherever, whoever you are listening to this, uh, wherever you are, um, I hope this encourages you and uh, empowers you to say, hey, I don't feel comfortable when you say that. Um, if it needs to be reported, if it's something that's been, you know, you've been affected by, um, speak up. And if you don't feel right speaking up to the attacker, which is sometimes a very dangerous thing to do, reach mm -hmm. out to somebody um, in your network or even outside your network who can help. Um, all the things that are coming out now did not happen overnight. It is the manifestation of decades of micro behaviors. We've let it happen too much. So they yeah. have now been conditioned to think that it's okay. Um, you know, it, it's being built up. So, even if we remove one block from their tower of hate and tower of racism, you're still preventing them from putting the block on top of that. Right. So every little bit helps. Um, Asia 
Asians in general, even a bigger group, Asian Americans, particularly with our collective immigrant experiences, you're right, we are not a monolith. And we can sit here and we can argue about who's better, who, you know, <laughs> who, who, who's the better country, but you know what? Like at the end yeah. of the day, you know, like you said, Ty, like some people don't know and some people don't give a shit. So why are we going to infight when they're all treating us the same? And, and this is, yeah, a part of it is to stop the hate, but the, the bigger part is for us to stand united and say, dude, yeah, 16 million of us, we vote, we buy, we start companies, we write legislation. We can change things in this country. And the sooner we stop fighting about, you know, stuff that happened 50 years ago between our grandparents because oh, they don't care, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's petty. And I grew up with some of that hate too, because that's what I was taught at home. And yeah, there, there are certain, you know, things that I've said to friends or, you know, jokes that I've made and that I still feel terribly about because I just didn't know any better. And all this is, you know, and if you're out there and if you're, if you're listening to this um, closer to when it was uploaded in uh, April of 2020 and you're graduating from college um, and you don't know what you want to do, maybe you just got your job canceled because the economy's weird or think about what you can do to help people that look like us because there is a way to make money doing that. There is a way to build a huge business doing that. Um, look around you. There are people who've done it and the market and the pie is only going to get bigger. And I agree. And, and what do you want to have written on your tombstone? What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Um, you know, it's, I, I think those are the important things. And right now, if not now that, you know, then when, right, we're all stuck at home. Um, we're doing a lot, <laughs> we're doing a lot of thinking, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of introspective thinking and, um, maybe we realize that some of these things don't really matter. So, um, Hey, hey Ty, I want to thank you for making the time. Um, you know, this is a, an interesting time for all of us to be alive in. I, and I want to end the show, um, in the same way that we end all of our shows. And it goes back to the name of our show, the Asian Americans. Um, I, I toiled for so long trying to come up with the perfect name for the show. And, um, I, I ended on the Asian Americans because it felt like, the conversation that I've been desperate to have for my entire life um, to hear from people that look like me and you that sound like me and you and um, whose experiences mirror just ours. So it's in the form of a love letter to us from us by us really um, to help us get through these, not just these challenging few weeks and few months, but um, to live really, really fulfilling lives. So um, help us close out the show. I will start the letter and please finish it. Dear Asian Americans, we are stronger when we are united. There's a lot of opportunities out there beyond our imagination and our parents' imagination besides the STEM route. You can make a big difference. Use your voice, the voice that our parents gave us, the voice that they never had, and go out there and make a difference because if not us, then who? The Asian Americans never die. <laughs> Hey, uh, Ty, this has been so fun to talk with you, man. Um, you know, it's, it's a really, really interesting time to be in Asian American media. Um, it is. It's more difficult than any of us have ever thought it would be telling these stories. Um, but I am so hopeful because I think the tides are changing. Um, I think we're going to come out of these challenging times 
um, with the more united front of what do we do so that this never happens again. It's really unfortunate that these things do happen, but you know, what more do we need to do? You know, how many more politicians are we going to inspire to run? Um, how many more people in law enforcement and military and anything else in the world where um, we can really stand up and say, hey, guys, this isn't cool. And sometimes that's all it takes just for somebody to say, hey, man, that's not cool. Um, and, and so thank you for what you do. Um, I, I think the world is, is a better, more funny, more entertained place because of you. Um, and yeah, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, God, I really want to start that thing, but it's Asian related. So I don't know if I want to lean into my identity, lean the hell into it guys. Um, thank you, Ty, uh, you know, for personal reasons, it's a fun time for you. Um, your, your life is about to change. So good luck with all that's <laughs> coming in the next few weeks. Thank um, you. and, uh, yeah, I, I hope to, I, I look forward. To, I'm really excited. Uh, to celebrate with you in person when all this is behind us and to make sure that we can build positive change and positive um, impact in our community together. Awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity here. And I, I feel that we need a lot more voices like yours. You know, we need people to step up to the plate and step up to bat and like really put content out there because there is a huge demand for it right now. If not us, then who? Let us tell our narrative and not somebody else. Thank you. If you don't tell your story, somebody that don't look like you is. <laughs> and that's way too much risk, guys. Exactly. See you, see you next time. See you, man. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ty. He's such an amazing guy. Funny guy. You can tell that he just really genuinely cares. I want to give a quick shout out to Brian Pham of AHN for making the introduction and to bringing Ty into my life. And we cannot wait for all this is behind us so that we can continue to create collaborative events and things for everybody to come together, connect, laugh, and to create more memories. So thank you so much. If you enjoy this episode with Ty or any of the other ones from Dear Asian Americans, please share this episode out or please share the podcast with a friend or two and just point them in the direction to the Instagram page at Dear Asian Americans or on Facebook or on the web. If you want to come on the show yourself and share your own stories, or if you'd like me to feature your business or organization at the beginning of an episode, shoot me a note through the DM on Instagram or shoot me an email to podcast at jerrywan.com. Thanks again so much. Can't believe it's been a month. And I am grateful for every single listener and more grateful for every single guest who has come on and shared their stories with me. It means so much. And to Charlotte, if you're listening to this, I don't know how many years later, Appa loves you. Jacob, Appa loves you. All this is for you guys. Take care, and I'll see you guys soon.